0: Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is the Revolutionized Mind. Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in to TRM this week. I hope you're having an amazing day, and I hope you're ready to learn because today's episode is filled with amazing content and progressive ideas, which I love. But after chatting with Stephen, it just made me really hopeful about the future to know that there is work being put into youth mental health and just educating around what mental health is, what mental illness is, and what we can do to prevent it in ourselves and in others. And it also just made me really proud to know that I'm a part of something so much bigger, you know, having these conversations and spreading this message. I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we hear people open up about their stories, it's really just going to continue to create positive change, and that's all I can ask for. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and can take at least one thing away from Stephen. I know I sure did. Today I'm here with Stephen Liu, a mental health educator at the Canadian Mental Health Association, York Region and South Simcoe. I think that what you do and what you offer the youth of our community is super important, so I'm very happy to be sharing all this information on my platform. Would you like to start off just by introducing yourself and maybe sharing any personal mental health experience that made you want to work in the field if you're comfortable doing so?
1: Thanks for having me today, Angelica. Um, yeah, My name is Stephen Liu, and I work for the Canadian Mental Health Association of York Region in South Simcoe County. And I'm part of a team called Youth Wellness, and I'm a mental health educator. So my primary role is I travel to different schools in York Region and South Simcoe County, and I teach workshops. Uh, workshops that deal with things like stress and anxiety, um, talking about myths surrounding mental health, depression, and suicide. Uh, we have a workshop on eating disorders and self-harm, and we also talk about that transition from elementary school to high school. And that's a big focus of my job in Simcoe County. I used to do a lot of workshops in York Region, but um, in York Region, I do a lot more groups now in counseling one-to-one. So those are the other parts of my job as well. I run a mindfulness group in elementary schools and in high school. And I also do one-to-one counseling both in York Region and in Simcoe County. Um, usually it's in the communities, whether it's at Tim Hortons or at a community center or at the school. but um, last year and a bit now because of these lockdowns the pandemic everything has been done mostly virtually through phone or through zoom um and that's really my job in a nutshell a lot of traveling meeting people running classrooms and getting to know different communities um in terms of getting into this um this field i've always worked with youth um i remember when i first started out after finishing university i was working a group home i've always worked with youth from different walks of life, different backgrounds. I was in a drop-in center before as a um, youth worker. And um, I just somehow kind of got into this role and looking back at it, you know, it's been almost 10 years now since I've been doing this position. Um, You know, how important mental health is in our day-to-day life. Uh, We don't really take notice because we're always go, 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 dealing with that daily grind. But when we really stop and reflect, we think about you know, all the things that we have to get done in a day and depending on how old you are, where you are in life, you know, how your mental health can be impacted. And um I think for me, at the time when I transitioned to this position, it was really about, you know, not knowing what I really wanted to do with my career still, even though I was approaching thirty. You know, finances were a big part of it too, just, you know, having employment, making money, um, surviving. Um, but also wanting that different challenge and um you know, kind of fostering um, my strengths. I've always wanted to do counseling, work with people one to one. And this job just kind of appeared um, and I applied for it. And yeah, and here I am 10 years later almost. And the job and the role has changed a lot through the years. But, uh, you know, I'm still doing what I really enjoy doing, which is working with people and uh, helping them.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And I think it's so needed, especially today. Um, did you take any social worker psychology in university?
1: Actually, so what what happened was, um, and I tell youth this story, like students, when I work with them, because, you know, a lot of the youth that I work with in high school, especially, you know, even the ones who are like not in high school yet, one of the big things that they deal with is just like that academic pressure, you know, getting good grades, going into a really good university, um, parental pressure, you know, stress from mom and dad, you know, doing really well um and you know for me I tell them what my journey was like when I um when I was in high school when I was in university and I went to university University of Waterloo for psychology and you know it wasn't going the way I thought it was going to go you know it was a really big wake up call as to what the university was like compared to high school moving away from home and just kind of being on my own it was exciting but you know you really understand like how independent you are once you're away living on campus and my grades just weren't that great i mean i was pretty um shocked and disappointed in a way and i felt like you know what this isn't going to work out so i i transferred to york in my second year and um what i remember i wanted to kind of pursue like um business or acting so i really played around for a little bit but in the end i kind of fell back into psychology where i started off with and then from there you know i finished with my degree in psychology at york but i still didn't really have a clear-cut plan and um you know my my grades were, were okay, right? But eventually I still found my way into this field in social services, just working with people. So I try to tell people that, you know, as much as you put that pressure and stress on yourself, um, sometimes your life will just find a way. And um, it's about meeting different people, having different opportunities, kind of open up and trying different things to see what you enjoy. And for me in university, I went from psychology to business, to film, back to, you know, psychology. I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. and looking back, that's kind of the norm when you're young, right? You're really trying to explore and find your way. So um, yeah, that was my journey. I finished with my degree in psychology and um, everything kind of just happened along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you made a great point too. And with one of my last guests, Megan, who's now a doctorate student in clinical psych, we talked about her story through academia and just the pressures that society puts on you about having to follow this traditional pathway, but not a lot of people actually follow that. And, I mean, somehow everybody ends up where they're supposed to be, usually, hopefully. So it's awesome that you knew what you were passionate about. You wanted to work with youth, work with people, and social work and that kind of role. So it's good that you found yourself there. And I know you've made a big impact in the last 10 years in this position. So that's amazing. Thank you. And the youth that you work with are normally ages 12 to 24, is it? Yeah. Okay.
1: So we're looking at, like, grade 7 to you know, adults basically um, a large part of the work though because it's between like workshops, groups, um, individual counseling. It's a it's a wide gamut, but um, typically like twelve to twenty four. Mm-hmm.
0: And can you expand a bit on those psychoeducational workshops that you offer? Like the topics, what you guys normally talk about?
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, what we what we try to encourage is um, when we work with a school to kind of go with the entire series of workshops. Um, so we kind of started off with like mental health myth busting, the, you know, the myths surrounding mental health, you know, some of the, um, the different opinions people may have or different thoughts around it, you know, um, for example, like a person who is dealing with depression it means that you just don't want to deal with things, you're, you're emotionally, you're mentally weak, you know, and we try to debunk those mindsets or myths by giving them real facts around mental health and how it can affect anyone and everyone. Um, from all different backgrounds, whether you're male or female, younger or older, living in Canada or living somewhere in Europe, let's say, or Asia. Um, So we kind of used that as a way to kind of break the ice, that workshop, Mental Health and busting, And then um, we followed up with stress and anxiety because uh, I think it's something that a lot of people and everyone can relate to day to day. Uh, We all go through stress. We all go through anxiety. You know, and it's really that conversation around, you know, identifying your stressors and your anxieties. Um, but looking at, yeah, what are some of the, um, the negative impacts that can affect you in regards to your mental health and how you carry yourself day to day, but also how does it motivate you? How can it help you? It's looking at you know, how anxiety can really be a good motivator. Um, just like with when we saw with the Olympic athletes more recently, You know, all that pressure and anxiety that you may face, um, it can help kind of push you to compete. But then on the other end, you know, when it becomes really, really difficult to contend with, uh, we saw with like Simone Miles, you know, her taking care of her mental health in that moment um, and really kind of setting an example. And then the coping strategies, you know, what do you do to cope with your stress and anxiety? What helps you day to day? And then the other ones being um, depression and suicide. So just understanding, you know, what depression is, you know, how to have that conversation around depression, around suicide Um, what to kind of look for in terms of signs and symptoms you know who can you go to to get support Um, you know that workshop i always remind students that you know you're not a trained counselor you're you're still in high school you're really really young you're a kid essentially um so if you're 15 or 14 and you know you have a really close friend that's telling you something it's probably best to go to an adult whether it's a parent older sibling someone who can reach out to someone else and get that person the support they need. So we really have conversations around that. And then, you know, eating disorders, uh, self-injury, understanding what those concepts are. Um, Again, you know, what can you do for coping strategies, supports in the community. And then the last one, we um, just kind of call high school 101. It's really kind of like that session of just prepping students who are in grade eight and understanding, you know, what to expect when they make that transition and how hard it can be for some people. You know, Um, I think most people feel that, anxiety of um, whether it's you know, exciting or nerve wracking going from grade eight to grade nine, even though you have the uh, two months off, you know, some people are really looking forward to high school, others, you know, not so much because of things like being bullied, you know, getting lost in the crowd. So really talk about, you know, well, what can you do to kind of mitigate that? Um, you know, who can you talk to in the school? Where can you go in the school? But also what do you look forward to? You know, how do you get past that first day, first week, in school, and then make it a much more better experience for yourself. So that's what the workshops are kind of built around, and we try to encourage you to do a series of workshops so that way you get a full understanding. But um, you know, sometimes schools can't accommodate that because of their own schedules. So we try to you know make the best compromise that we can. So at least we get like a good two or three in there, and usually it's like myth busting around mental health, understanding stress and anxiety, and then the high school one on one piece.
0: I think those are all amazing workshops because mental health education is not ever really focused on or talked about in elementary school or high school. So it's something that's becoming more common. And I think introducing that at a young age is so important because then people can start to understand the signs in themselves and others. And like you said, like where to go when that does happen. Because I think a lot of people today, even adults, don't know where to go when something comes up.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when I first started this job, 2012 now. I'm almost ten years. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of that going on. You know, even though um, when I taught these workshops, students knew a lot of information. So even though it may not have been you know taught formally by teachers, you know, students had a pretty good understanding. Maybe it's through what they read, movies and TV shows that they saw, conversations amongst themselves, but just also the amount of education that the school board has put into it over the years. It's really expanded. I mean. You know, you have uh, CYWs in schools, um, school psychologists, uh, mental health nurses, right? And then you have different organizations who kind of go into the schools like our organization um, and provide, whether it's grief and bereavement counseling, mental health counseling. So I definitely think the expansions of services have kind of grown over the years. But yeah, like, you know, way back when I first started, not everything was really in place yet. So I'm really glad to see how it's evolved to where it is now.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's so exciting to hear that schools are offering mental health nurses or psychotherapists, whatever the school can actually offer in their, whether it's the guidance counseling office or it's just such a positive step in the right direction to know that students do have access to these people or to these resources when they need them.
1: Yeah, and especially now, right? I mean, the news is always there at, you know, mental health around youth and adolescents Um, has been a really big talking point during this pandemic and just how impacted young people have been, you know, with these closures, going back, coming back, and, you know, different ways of learning, not being with their peers. So I think more now than ever, uh, we'll see what the fall holds, how that rules out in Ontario. But, um, you know, it's kind of good to know at least some of these things are in place. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's all this talk about expanding services even further with more funding down the road.
0: Yeah, I think we're in an interesting time now, given the pandemic, and we're still learning every day. Like like you said, in the fall, I think it's going to present new challenges when all the kids do go back to school, academically, socially, emotionally. There's going to be so many different factors to consider. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, and hopefully people are able to adjust and access help when they need it.
1: Yeah, I mean, as long as they know it's there. Um, you, know, you can never force anybody to get the help they need, even though know, you might think, Oh, you know, I can really benefit. You can really benefit from that. But, um, I've always believed that as long as they know that there's support available to them somewhere in the school or even at home, you know, the offer has already been made. Now it's really up to them to kind of bring themselves there mm-hmm. so they can get the help that they need.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so on the topic of like addressing these issues at a young age, I know that there's a lot of controversy around talking about like heavy topics like mental illness and suicide with youth. So as a professional, how do you actually go about bringing up these topics with younger age groups? And what are your thoughts behind that?
1: Yes. So um, that's why like, we, we encourage, you know, uh, teachers to really think about doing the first two uh, workshops around myth busting around mental health and stress and anxiety because it's a really good segue into understanding how depression can be formed in some individuals and you know, understanding how suicide and the relationship it has with depression. Um, I never want to do a workshop on its own just like, oh yeah, I'm here to talk about depression and suicide without having some background knowledge first. And schools have been you know, typically good about it. I found over the years though, that schools were no longer really as keen to kind of talk about depression and suicide amongst the elementary school students uh so high school it was fine you know it was a topic that they were comfortable bringing up and talking about and having me present but in the elementary school it was like kind of tapered off a bit. um i'm not sure what the exact reason was but it was usually just you know we want myth busting we want stress and anxiety then we want the high school workshop um but they didn't want to touch things like eating disorders self-injury or depression or suicide um you know perhaps there was the concern of um how that might affect an individual or maybe if they didn't know how to get the help they needed you know i think the school just maybe wanted to play a little bit more safe but in the high schools it was never an issue and in simple county up north um they were willing to teach and on everything you know whether it was eating disorders self-injury depression and suicide so it was really interesting how um some communities up north were more um, open around these topics and i, I felt like uh you know, even though they were young, they still knew a lot about these things, as I had mentioned earlier, like concepts around depression, you know, what suicide means, uh, why a person might be depressed, or why they might be thinking about suicide. So, you know, I've been fortunate um, with all the people that I've taught, you know, it's been very easy to engage with them. And, you know, when I ask them questions to try to bring up open discussion, they're very willing to share what their thoughts were, or, um, you know, if I was doing counseling, you know, how candid they were about their mood. So um, it, I found it so far pretty easy on the grand scheme of things, but um, I always feel like it's important to educate them beforehand because you don't want to go in there with the risk that, you know, they just know about depression and suicide when really they don't. So I always say it's probably good to have a few lessons that break the ice and just have um, that comfort built. So that way, when they also know me as a teacher or as a facilitator, they're also more well willing to open up and talk because, you know, they see me once or twice or any in their classroom.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a fine line because I think a lot of parents don't want their children hearing about these things because they think it might put the idea in their heads if it's not already there Mm -hmm. or just get them to start thinking about these things when they might be a, a quote unquote happy kid. So that's interesting because I agree with you. I think that the earlier these kids can get educated, the better that way it doesn't just hit them. Like you can only shadow them for so long. And if they start entering those older grades or into high school and they see it around them, they start experiencing these things themselves. It's going to hit them much harder than if they had the education and they know how to go about it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing too. Like, you know, unfortunately over the years, um, you know, there have been people passing away from suicide at a very young age, Um, you know, so I I believe that young people are very smart, so when they talk, they may not always talk to the adults about it, but they talk amongst themselves and they kind of get an idea of what may have happened or if they knew that person, you know, what they were going through. So it's just really interesting when you kind of learn how, you know, students interact with each other, and even though they're young, they're really smart, really bright people, Um, and I've always been really interested to hear what they have to say around these topics um but yeah i agree like you know within a a reasonable age but you know learning better at a younger age is probably better when it's like much later in life and i I do agree that sometimes you know parents don't want to deal with these kind of concerns or topics um there's the idea that you know that's not my child right or it's not a real thing depression you know it's just an excuse and um i've heard from students directly that work with um one-to-one You know, they were a bit older at this point, but they would say that, you know, their mom really didn't believe that they had depression. They thought it was just made up. Um, It was just a way for them not to go to school, to be, you know, lazy, right? And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that some adults who are the closest thing to their child, you know, aren't supportive when it comes to these things. Like, they're very supportive around, you know, getting tutoring, putting you into clubs, extracurricular activities, eating healthy, being a part of sports, but once like the mental health piece... Not every parent gets it or, you know, they don't really think it's that big of a deal.
0: And that's a generational thing, too. Like, if you're carrying the stigma, it's going to get passed on to your child who's now going to be scared of their own feelings and feel ashamed if they do go through it. Or even just them carrying those emotions, that stigma towards mental health, if a friend comes up to them. Mm -hmm. It's such a dangerous mindset, and it's something that needs to be addressed. So that's why I love what you're doing, and I love how these workshops are offered to children, because I think it's something that I needed when I was younger and something that a lot of people can really benefit from. Thank you. And so I know you've mentioned like some other parents, um, but do you ever actually interact with them yourself, or is it kind of just what the children tell you about what their parents are saying?
1: Uh, most of the time it's just between me and the youth, and, and that's how I prefer it. Um, but I think I only had maybe one time where a parent was involved, but they were really just there to really understand their, their child better. Um, you know, this person at the time was in high school, and um, you know I think mom was really just trying to understand what their child was going through. Not that she understood it completely, but at least she wanted to be involved, which I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes parents don't want to be a part of that. Or maybe, you know, the relationship isn't in a way that um, the student or the youth doesn't want to tell their parent at all because they know that their mom or dad won't react well. But for the most part, I always tell people, you know, uh, getting counseling is voluntary. And, you know, if you're 17 or 16 or 19 or 20, like if, if you were the one who put yourself on that way list or if you're really the one who signed up for the counseling, you know you don't really have to tell your parents. Mm-hmm. Everything is confidential and private, so I think that really gives them comfort knowing that you know we can talk to somebody in our school, you know, in a private setting. Um, and it was set up by my guidance counselor, or my teacher. You know, it, it would be great if they could open up and tell mom and dad, you know, exactly what they're going through. But sometimes, if you said if it's a generational thing, um, you know, if parents were not born and raised in Canada and they have a different mindset around mental health you know, they might add more stress and anxiety.
0: And in your role, what is your confidentiality agreement? Like, do you ever have to address the parents or if somebody comes forward with a self-injury or harm to themselves or somebody else? So with confidentiality, um,
1: we always make clear that, you know, everything that you say to me is helping confidence, unless there's the intent to harm yourself or harm someone else. I mean, I do have a duty to report. Um, but that's like standard across everything, right? Even if it's in school, teachers would have to break that confidence as well. If there are a harm to themselves or others, we don't want that happening. So we make it very clear that, you know, if you tell me something where I feel like it, it could be a detriment to yourself, you know, I would have to let your teacher know. You know, they understand everything. We make sure that we go through that process clearly. And we're very agreeable to that because it makes
0: sense to them. So you would go to the teacher and the teacher would then go to the parents or the authority involved?
1: Yeah, whatever the school's process is. um, Because when I do my counseling in schools, usually it's set up in a way that the guidance counselor who knows a student felt like, you know, this student would be a good fit for our program. So then whenever you do like the confidentiality agreement, sometimes students already give me the uh, permission to say, you know, you're more than welcome to talk to my guidance counselor because they know everything about me. So, you know, and I tell them that, you know, I don't, Tell them everything about you but you know if anything could come up as long as you're okay and we can see on that then you know we can make mention on a need-to-know basis on that sort of thing but it's never really gone to that because you know teachers have always been respectful or guidance counselors have always been respectful and um it's really just conversations around you know what they're dealing with and how they're coping and yeah a large part of it has mostly been yeah how do we deal with anxiety um and usually it stems from academics you know, not knowing what the future holds for them, career choices, you know, these are the things that they start feeling more as they get to that point of graduating, but they also feel it in grade nine as well. You know, I think they're kind of taught at a young age, you got to get good marks, you got to go to a really good university, and, you know, got to get a good job that pays well, you know, and um, depending on the community and also their background, um, being, you know, Chinese myself, um, working with, like, the Asian students and sometimes conversations around you know i want to go into like let's say dance or acting but my mom and dad don't think that's a real profession and they want me to go into something more academic like you know medical school becoming a lawyer or an accountant right so that's really what we kind of hear um and then you know like things like relationships breakups you know what teenagers you can okay. go through
0: my friends and I were actually talking the other day about how in grade nine you're asked to pick what strand you're going to take, whether it's academic or applied, that was how it was in our school or college university mm-hmm. courses like you're asked what strand you want to take in grade nine so that's the first year you're in high school that is so stressful because you're basically yeah. asked to like where do you want to go in four years, but you have no idea <laughs> that's so early, and it puts so much unnecessary pressure I think on students to Feel like they have to know what they want, what they want to study, what direction they want to take their life.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're always changing, as they say, right? There's that idea that you know you have to embrace change, right? So it's easy to understand then why people might change their academic career or their career path, um, especially now. There's so many opportunities in life. Um, you know, we see people become like content creators on YouTube or influencers on like social media. Um, you know, not really jobs that you require, like, you know, going into university for it, but there's just a lot of opportunity now in this world. So, you know, young people more than ever have all these different avenues to pursue something that they're really passionate about. Um, you know, for me, I- I'm glad I didn't go into acting cause I don't think I would have gotten very mm-hmm. far. Um, but you know, th- there are people right now who can make videos on TikTok, yeah. you know, and garner yeah. that that fan base, and it's still acting and creating, you know, their own content, whether they're passionate about filmmaking or writing their stories, they can do these things now. And, you know, as long as they're happy with that, it's an option versus, you know, a person having to go to film school and spend like copious amounts of money. And then, you know, that competition among others, right? So I just think there's a lot of great opportunity now for younger people. And uh, yeah, things are going to change, I think, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Like that's such a great point. Like there's so much out there that is not in the traditional beliefs of what like our parents might think is acceptable or is actually going to like provide a good, stable life. But there are so many opportunities out there. And I think just having an open mind and being willing to put yourself out there and embrace like your true thoughts and feelings, like what do you really want to do in your life and how can you achieve that? So you also mentioned that you run a mindfulness group. Can you talk a bit about that and kind of what you guys discuss or what you focus on?
1: Uh, Yeah, so the mindfulness group, um, we've been doing that now for, it's actually been a couple of years. Um, So what we do uh, typically is we go into the schools. um, This is either in high school or elementary school. And um, it's been a bit different now because everything has been done through Zoom. And I found it actually better doing it this way because people can kind of just log in from home and watch and follow. But in, in elementary school, uh, it might be a full classroom where the teachers have signed up for this group. You know, we wanted students to feel like these were easy enough tools to learn and to utilize. So rather than feel like a really long lecture for like an hour, these were some things that we can teach to you in you know, a very short amount of time, practice it in that session, and then that way they can kind of walk away knowing that they learned something new to kind of help them with their day-to-day, whether it's, you know, Kind of like guided meditation, breathing exercise, um, you know, mindful eating or learning how to do a mindful walk. Discussing what mindfulness is, of course, and then kind of going through with some of these exercises and, um, you know, understanding what gratitude is. You know, we we know what gratitude is for the most part. We're being thankful. But I always tell people that we don't have to be thankful only around Thanksgiving. We can be thankful almost every day of our life just to kind of get us through those moments when things are tough you know, looking at what am I grateful for? Um, and I have thought that to a lot of students um, during the pandemic, because, you know, a lot of things around like, you know, feeling more depressed or their mood being affected, high levels of anxiety, not knowing what the future holds, and kind of running this um, quick activity around, you know, what are you thankful for? or what are you grateful for? And it's really a way of them kind of reflecting, you know, whether it's being grateful for having their parents or, you know having their health still or you know just having food or a roof over their head something as simple as that can really brighten their mood and it's this idea of you know turning your negative thoughts into a more positive one and using like gratitude as that mechanism so that's just one example of what we would teach in a mindfulness session but um yeah we try to keep it at four so students don't feel like oh my god like there's like 10 sessions right four sessions And you know, they're half an hour each roughly, maybe a bit longer if they're taking discussions. But you know, these are things that you can use um day to day that are, you know, free and they don't require too much effort. Just an open mind and you know, some clarity and self-reflective thought, you Mm -hmm. know. So when we teach people how to mindfully eat, it's the thought about, you know, what are you eating? Where did it come from? What did it take to get here? And if you're enjoying that meal, you know, what is it about this meal that you're enjoying? And then, you know, We teach this because it's kind of like um, going against this idea of eating your meal really fast. Because a lot of us, I think, do that because of time. You know, we don't have much time and we eat really quickly or we get something really fast to eat. But it's also because, yeah, not enough time. And um, how often do we think about our meal when we can go on our phone at the same time or watch TV at the same time while eating? So it's a really good way of slowing things down and just, you know, kind of being appreciative of what this dish is and what it took to get here or even like mindful walking you know something that we do every day that we probably take for granted but when we slow it down and you know look at what are you noticing as you take this step as your body kind of makes that transition pivots so it's really educating young people around those sort of ideas and then hopefully they can take that away and when they're in a situation in life you know they can always draw back to these activities and hopefully that might help them in some capacity
0: Mm -hmm. I think those activities are all incredible and when some people hear like mindful eating or mindful walking they get very turned off because they think it's extremely spiritual or like an out there thing and I mean me as well growing up like that's what I thought too but getting more into it now like it doesn't have to be like that and I think you can incorporate it into your daily life in whatever way works for you and there are so many little things like practicing gratitude or Noticing what you're doing when you're doing it, like as you're walking, as you're taking a bite of your food, that doesn't have to be extremely spiritual if that's what's something that like turns you off, because it does impact your day in a positive way because you're spending time with yourself and what you're doing and maybe getting rid of distractions like your phone or TV. And I think we're just so busy all the time. like Our lives are so hectic that taking time to slow down and really be with ourselves is so important.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really just teaching them that idea about being in the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what our mindfulness group looks like.
0: (laughs) And do people individually sign up for that mindfulness group?
1: Uh, So, now because we do things through Zoom, yeah, sometimes we've had people individually sign up, but um, typically it's like a classroom that a teacher signs their student up for in elementary school. In high school, it was more about um, during, let's say, if we can find a period where it's after school or lunchtime or spare, it's really tricky in high school because everyone has a different timetable. And so when I would work with a guidance counselor, um, she would usually, or he would usually find the students that they felt would be beneficial for this group and kind of corral them to meet. Um, but then it was also hard because their timetables were so different, that you kind of had to catch them. So for high school, it could have been like, you know, a lunch or B lunch, or it would be after school. But in elementary school, you just put the whole classroom.
0: And going off that, like, do you notice any, like, individual differences between somebody who might benefit more from a mindfulness activity or one of the workshops that you offer?
1: Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about. it. I mean, I guess when people sign up for those groups, right, you think that, yeah, they're going to benefit. But um, no, no, I haven't. I I feel like um, when I talk to my clients who are actually there for, like, counseling, I would always think in my head, like, oh, like, it would have been really great if you were part of my group for mindfulness or, you know, if they were a student and they could learn from the workshop because, you know, hopefully that would have helped them to where they are now being a bit older. But no, I haven't really noticed that.
0: Okay. I would just asked that because I think the whole mindset behind spirituality and mindfulness might turn some people off if they're more, like, academic-oriented and they think, like, a psychoeducational workshop, I'm going to benefit more because I'm, like getting content like Mm -hmm. if that makes sense rather than actually doing mindfulness and like just working with yourself
1: yeah you know i i think i think before like it it was always like for me not always i should say that but when i'm doing it in person you know you would see some people kind of tune out and they might find it a bit slow or boring but then I'm like, you know, they're young kids, right? They're in like grade seven or grade eight. They have all this energy, and you know, they don't really maybe understand this whole process. Um, I would see that with the boys, at least uh, in high school. You know, I think when the teachers sign up individuals and it's a smaller, more intimate group, um, their their attention and their reactions are a bit different because I think they know why they're here. When I've been doing it through Zoom now or Google Classroom because everything has been done virtually. Um, There is a lot more chatter in the chat box that the teacher would tell me about, that the students are really benefiting from this or they are participating by putting in their opinion. So yeah, I've I've noticed that change at least, I think maybe because kids are learning from home, that this mindfulness group was something new for them, something fresh. And I think feeling the way they do at home and now learning this new content, even though it's only once a week, was something we'd for them, you know, a new piece of material to learn. And they can really talk about their own mental health And I was noticing this in like like sevens and eights that they were being so much more open to talking about how they were feeling being at home during these lockdowns.
0: That makes me so happy to hear just because of how like intense the last year and a half has been and especially just doing school from home from such a young age and there's little kids like they don't have that peer stimulation or they're not able to get out of their house so... For them to actually incorporate like a mental health activity or just time to talk about their feelings is so important. And I think, again, going in such a right direction and it makes me so happy to hear.
1: Yeah, no, it's really good for me, too, because I'm the one doing the work. Um, Yeah. You know, and I just realized that there's another group that we offer. Uh, It's a mindfulness group still. I haven't done it personally yet, but my colleagues have. Um, It's a sports mindfulness group. So more uh, for athletics, you know, I guess for athletes to learn mindfulness and giving them the tools so when they're competing or participating, you know, they have certain tools that they can use in their respective sport. I'm interested to see how that one goes about, like, you know, especially if it's a group of all males and, you know, knowing if they would be open to that, even though we know like with athletes in professional leagues, they do a lot of sports psychology. Um, so I haven't done that yet personally, but I just want to mention that we also do a sports or an athletics mindfulness group as well.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and I've been an athlete my whole life, so I can definitely relate to that. And just knowing how bad it impacts male athletes, um, that they're not allowed to not allowed in quotations to talk about their feelings or be open about what's going on in their life because they have to be this like tough macho man all the time.
1: Yeah, I I, I um I was having that conversation with my wife too because of um the the conversations that were coming out of the whole Simone Biles. Um, the Olympics and you know just the thought of like how male athletes might feel in this situation you know team sport versus individual sport um yeah it it was a good discussion and um you know I agree it's sometimes based on gender where if it's a team sport individual sport you know how difficult it can be to kind of talk about your mental health in front of others because there's that worry of being judged by your peers or by your coach or by the world who's watching
0: absolutely yeah so I guess wrapping up, in your 10 years in this role, what are some mental health trends in youth that you've seen over the last couple of years more recently?
1: Um, I would say that for me, when I first started this job, um, it was really eye-opening to see how really something as simple as, like just not simple, but something that we all can relate to, just academics, was that driving factor. Mm-hmm. And then understanding how you know, puberty You know going through those changes physically and emotionally it was always there um but just kind of seeing it firsthand and how yeah it's normal for youth to go through these ups and downs in life because there's so much change happening um and then you know i think you know smartphones really exploding you know social media how people communicate how people connect that became like a different trend too i remember one youth was telling me how their big anxiety right now was just like um snapchat you know and i've never used snapchat before but it was like how many likes or how many views like you had like this i can't remember how it was phrased it's been a few years now but if a person watched her content that's what it was because she went through a breakup that person stopped watching her content and it was more about the stoppage of viewing her content that bothered her more than the actual breakup itself which i found really interesting because i didn't really understand that at all but you know things change and with the younger generation, with what they have at their disposal, it was really interesting to learn these things, Um, gaming, online gaming, you know, what that looks like for young people, you know, being more isolated, spending copious amounts of time gaming online with others and kind of getting lost in that, Uh, that's something that I kind of noticed too in the last few years. Um, And I would say right now, definitely the pandemic, right, Um, from March 2020 until now, um, you know, how people's mental health have been impacted with all the changes that have been happening outside, you know, how it's affected their parents, how it's affected them financially as a family, how they learn, how they communicate with their peers and how they interact, being more isolated, more shut in, um, uncertainty, you know, I enjoyed riding now, with the weather being really nice, I go riding a lot more now, but just seeing the amount of houses that have put out those congratulations, class of 2021 high school because people couldn't go to prom or they couldn't go to grad in person uh, because it wasn't an option and just how that would affect young people. You know, it's supposed to be an experience um, or a passage of rights to go to prom, but then now it didn't happen. And I think it's been two years now where people couldn't attend prom. So I would say definitely the pandemic has been one big trend about people's mental health being impacted and where the factors affecting them.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's hard to, like, Respond to any of that because we are still in the midst of all of this, like yeah. technology, social media, the pandemic, we're, that's not going away anytime soon. And these things, like everybody who missed those big events in life, prom, grad, anything like that, it's going to affect them down the road in the coming years. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely no way to sugarcoat it. Like it. It sucks because other people have loved these events growing up. And it's something that we look back on. It's something that we made amazing memories in but they just miss that part of their life. So they're going to have to adapt and find some other way to look at it in a positive way, if that's possible. But I think we are all still learning and things are going to come up in the next few months, especially as people start to go back to school and the world kind of gets back to normal, but it's going to be interesting to see. And like I said before, I just really hope people know that there are resources available to them if they do need it and just understanding where you are in relation to your peers and relying on them if you need them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I tell people that I'm thankful for is, you know, technology in this mm-hmm. time. You know, as much as technology, social media, you know, our, our phones can be a detriment in our day to day. It gives us a way to find resources in the community or to listen to music or watch something funny on YouTube to kind of give us that brief break. Mm-hmm. It gives us a way of FaceTiming with other people. Um, us doing this podcast right now has been, you know, done by technology. So there are still ways of connecting with people. And I know that we're in step three right now and people are outside again, but we don't know what might happen. But, um, I just tell people, you know, think about what you're thankful for, even though it's not the norm, at least we can still learn online. At least we can still communicate online and, you know, the hope is things will get better soon.
0: Yeah. I think just practicing that daily gratitude and the little things that you can be grateful for, like. Thank God this pandemic happened now, and it wasn't two hundred years ago when they didn't have any technology. Like we were still able to call our friends and family, FaceTime, see them face to face, have constant communication, which is a huge plus and a huge advantage.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, we're we come along with medical um, technology and just practices, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of good things happening. But um, you know, I just tell people, you know, hang in there, and you know, I always say it's great that you're still getting counseling from our program or from me, because at least you're still willing to talk. Mm-hmm. At least that hopefully gives them comfort in trusting the process of getting counseling so that one day if they need to talk to a friend or a family member, at least they can see the benefit of opening up and talking to someone that they can trust or maybe getting counseling down the road with um, another worker as they get older. Um, I always tell people that you know there are services in high school, but there's also going to be services in college or university as well that you can access so you don't have to feel like you don't have anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, going along the struggles, what are some of the most common coping strategies that you teach your youth?
1: So yeah, with every workshop that I I had, um, you know, we always do a piece on how to cope, and you know, it it kind of feels like overlap. Um, you know, some things that that we've talked about is just you know changing the way you think and how you support somebody. You know, looking at mental health not as a weakness, but looking at you know how strong that person is to kind of open up and to talk about what they're going through um sometimes it would be quite emotional sometimes you might feel like oh they're angry but it's their way of expressing and kind of working through those emotions and then when we kind of work past that we get into the you know the strategies around like well how do you cope with the everyday stress or anxiety you know there are things that you can do to help with that like listening to music doing something that you have a passion for whether it's artwork reading a book exercising going for a bike ride going for a walk and you know i tell people that right now during this pandemic but if you feel safe enough to do so going out for that walk, getting some fresh air, getting some sunlight, getting some exercise in so that way you don't feel so locked down. And I mentioned that, you know, these are things that don't cost any money. Really. They just take a bit of effort, but if you can find something that you're passionate about, um, that makes it much more easier. You know, like for me, it's like exercising, training, Brazilian jiu you know, things like that really help me, but for someone else, it can look a lot different. It could be writing poetry or playing an instrument. Um, you know, with depression and suicide, it's been more about um, what kind of questions could you ask a friend that you are worried about, what are some probing questions that you can ask to get a better understanding of their situation, but also who could you talk to to get more support, to get further support? Um, is it a parent? Is it a teacher? What resources exist in the community? And then with the high school 101 part, you know, it was really explaining to them that there are a bunch of different services for you to access like a mental health nurse, a guidance counselor, a teacher that you trust, but it's going to take effort from you to open up and to reach out to these people so you can get the help that you need. You're not going to see a um, a mental health nurse all the time because they travel from school to school, but it's just knowing that you have these in place so when you do need them at some point, they're there for you. So that's how I've kind of taught like the coping strategies or you know how to work through these things but one of the biggest ones is like yeah you know just talking to a friend you know it doesn't even have to be about mental health really it could just be about something that you enjoy talking about and sometimes that's enough to kind of take your mind off of what was kind of pressing you Um, if you just had a bad day maybe you didn't get a really good mark on an assignment that you were hoping to get really really good on but you know the students i've worked with sometimes getting something in the low 80s can seem like the end of the world for them but if they can just hang back have some fun with their friends or just kind of take their mind off things they might even forget about that mark altogether and just kind of move on with life and realize, you know, it's not the most important thing.
0: Yeah. And one thing you talked about in the coping strategies is like the effort piece, which is something I can heavily relate to with my depression background, but just, it can be so hard to take that step to go outside for a walk or to reach out to somebody for help. But the way that I like to look at it is just like five seconds of effort, whether that's forcing yourself Mm -hmm. to get out of bed, whether it's splashing cold water on your face or like, all it takes is that first step to actually say that you're going to do something. And then once you're up, once you're in that direction, like you're on your way. So if you can just take that like split second of effort, then it can make such a big difference.
1: Yeah. And and I think like we all go through those days where we just feel like we can't do it. Um, and so, you know, that's the other approach to that we're all going to have like these tough days, you know, if it's depression, anxiety, or just you don't really have anything going on, but you have a hard time getting into bed. There's going to be moments like that. But like you said, if you make that effort, five seconds, just once you start getting out of it, you know, you'll find that there's that change in mm-hmm. how you feel.
0: Yeah. And so my last question for you is, based off both your personal and professional experiences, how do you think that we as a society could help to improve youth mental health?
1: So um, i given this question thought, and I think well one thing that I... That i believe in only because i've heard so much about it over the years and becoming a parent myself in the last two years um i would say that i've always believed that your parents you know for a young person you know if you have that, that ability to talk to mom or talk to dad or your sibling that's great but on the flip side i would say that you know for parents it's really important for parents to understand their own mental health and being open with themselves or with their partner about what they're going through how they feel and how do they cope because I really do believe that young people always look to their parents as role models as people that they can trust and feel safe with unfortunately it's not with every family but you know I like to believe that parents love their kids and kids love their parents so parents can have a moment to think about their own mental health how do they cope what affects them so that way when their child comes to them to talk about an issue or concern there could be a dialogue around that at that moment where a family kind of pulls together to understand what's happening how do we move forward because if parents just shut down their kids and say that you know well it's not real or you're making it up or you're just um you're making a big deal out of nothing just get over it that doesn't really help the young person um it might push them to find help elsewhere or it might shut them down completely and they don't want to get help because you know there's no point so i would say for parents to You know, look at their own mental health. How do they feel? How do they cope? What would they like to talk about? So that way they can kind of role model. And I I think that would help a lot because we know that um, services are not always available because depending on where you live in in Ontario, there might be fewer resources. There could be long wait times, waiting lists. So, you know, access what you can get at school because I tell students you're in school five days a week, right, for six and a half hours a day, make use with what you have at your second home, but at home, you know, what can parents really do to help their kids, support them? Um, and I would tell parents that, you know, your child is actually really willing to talk and open up, but sometimes they're afraid that you might not take it seriously, or maybe, you know, you're always at work. You know, you're too busy to kind of listen because work is the number one priority because the bills have to be paid, the mortgage has to be paid. But I would say for mom and dad, you know, learning more about mental health on the side, looking at your own mental health, and I think that would go a long way because that's that's my hope for my kids, that one day they can just feel comfortable enough with me to talk to me about something that they're going through. So not that I can solve their problems, but just so that at least they know that I'm there or that their mom is there, that if they ever needed us, we're there. But, you know, it also, I think, helps kids um, even build resiliency even more so that way they can find their own solutions but at least they know that my mom and dad are there in the background there to support me and I can always talk to them, but it gives me more strength to do things on my own. I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: No, it definitely does. Yeah. And I think like on a more general level, like as a society, just like if everybody took more time to talk about their mental health or to really just feel what their body or their mind is trying to get them to feel, it can go such a long way because then everybody would be more comfortable talking about it and addressing these things. And I think slowly the stigma could start to get reduced and people would just be more open with how they're feeling and encourage the conversation more.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to see things like the Bell Talks campaign every year that mm-hmm. tries to you know, break down those barriers, the stigma around mental health and having more open conversations. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm glad to see all these changes too in the last few years. Yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's an amazing piece of advice and I think you gave a lot of great tips and just like your overall knowledge with the people that you've worked with over the years and the kind of workshops that you offer I think are super super important and are going to continue to make a huge difference especially in the coming year when kids start to go back to school and hopefully you guys can bring your workshops and groups back to in person um, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your expertise and knowledge. I've learned a lot, and I know that everybody listening to this will as well.
1: Thank you so much for having me today, Angelica, and I and I hope so, too, in the fall. So thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. I just keep thinking back to what it would have been like if we had a mental health educator or even class time to discuss these things when we were younger and I mean, I know I was young, my memory probably isn't the greatest, but I don't really remember talking about any of this in elementary school, and there were a few presenters or things like that in high school that I remember going to, but still, it was never really prioritized or encouraged by teachers or anyone in the school board, so it makes me genuinely happy to know that There are people like Stephen who have these roles as a mental health educator who goes into the schools to teach young people about different signs and symptoms, about ways to cope, about how to access resources, and I know I think it's something I would have benefited from at that age, and if you're here listening to this right now as well, maybe you feel the same because it would have normalized the conversation within our own friend groups or families. And we maybe wouldn't have felt ashamed of what we were going through and more comfortable opening up to the people around us. So, I mean, all I can conclude is what we're doing is working. People are taking steps towards increasing mental health awareness and education, which is something that I am incredibly passionate about. And especially given how at risk our youth are to poor mental health or mental illness I think the earlier we can implement these workshops or discussion groups, the better. So I hope you enjoyed hearing and listening from Stephen today, and I really, really appreciate your support by listening to this podcast episode. If you have not already, please take five seconds to leave a rating and maybe ten seconds to leave a review. It means a lot to me, and I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I will be back next Friday.